Chapter Three of the Pirate Woman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Pirate Woman, by Alward Edward Dingle, Chapter Three. The Grove of Mystery. Dolores stood still, sweeping the scene of destruction with a gaze of flinty penetration. The groveling crone at her feet affected her like something unclean, and she spurned the old woman with her foot, stepping aside with a gesture of disgust. Then she raised her right hand and cried with bitter scorn, Come, my brave jackals, come to the feast prepared for thee. She lowered her hand, and with a contemptuous smile indicated the gruesome results of the explosion of Milo's awful bomb. On the edge of the forest the hardier rascals had halted. At her word they glared loweringly at her and the impassive giant at her back. From the shadow of the trees yellow and brown and black faces peered in quivering terror. But none responded to her command to approach her. The old woman on the ground alone made audible reply, and her slavish whining enraged Dolores. With a stamp of her sandaled foot she tore from her waist the gold cord slipped off the dagger-sheath, and fell upon the wretched old servitor with a shower of blows. "'Silence, old cat!' she cried, and the blows fell heavily. "'Up with thee and away! Go quickly and make ready the altar in the grove of mystery. Cease thy bleeding, old witch, and summon thy shaky wits against the ordeal I shall put thee to.' Some one among ye stirred up the rising which resulted as ye now see. That one I shall know before sundown, and he shall bitterly repent him." away. Dolores was astonished at seeing no sign of roof, but outwardly she showed none of her astonishment. A more vital consideration was present in the disobedience of the motley crew who as yet made no effort to come to her call. Drawing herself fully erect when the old woman departed, she again stretched out her hand and cried, "'Dogs of Satan! I await your homage! Red Jabez lies dead, yet his spirit lives in me, your queen!' By so many breasts that ye flout me, by just so many torments I shall have ye torn. Come, dogs, kneel. A hoarse murmur went up from the forest edge, and first one by one, and then in knots of half a score each, the negroes and half-breeds slunk into the open and approached her with eyes full of panic. The whites, not so susceptible to abstract influence, still hesitated drawing near to each other in growling consultation. Dolores gave them no sign, though she watched them keenly from under her lowered lashes. She gave her attention to the line of abject creatures who filed slowly past her, each one stopping to grovel in the dust at her feet and passing on. These Milo halted nearby and herded into a shivering, frightened mob. And Dolores's cool disregard of the whites had its calculated effect. One by one, they stepped out into the open as had the colored men. The more timorous or superstitious came first, some wearing shamed grins, others palpably impressed by the example of the others and shuffling on their way uncomfortably. Last of all came the bolder spirits, and these wore faces intended to express contempt, or at least sarcastic indifference. But the faces changed invariably on closer approach to the queen. Memory proved a stubborn master, 
in every man's breast remembrance clamoured to them to have a care how they bore themselves before this beautiful fury they called queen still yellow roof came not when all had knelt and all had been herded by the giant milo in two separate parties the number was tallied and of the whites besides roof seven were missing one lay inside the passage of the rest there were remains lying about the rocky wall to the cavern that might be three men or six human discernment could never decide which dolores faced her mongrel subjects again and her dark eyes blazed with fire her beautiful face was dark with surging blood every line of her lithe figure quivered as she spoke i seek the dog who stirred ye up to mutiny she cried yellow roof if it be he is not among ye nor is he one of these carrion scattered on the ground if it be some other villain him i will know before the sun has stretched my shadow to the cliff deliver him up to me and he alone shall repay disobey and every biting dog among ye shall swiftly learn the price of disobedience i wait the sun was fast setting and already the shadows had grown long five minutes at most would see the shadow of dolores's head at the base of the great rock and the blacks started whimpering with apprehension among the whites a tremendous quiet reigned but sullen brows here snarling teeth there gave hint of their interest in the sun's progress still no man spoke rather they looked at each other questioningly as the minutes flew as if the culprit were indeed not among them but dolores was wise beyond her years wise with a wisdom bred of her volcanic existence in such a station and she refused to be hoodwinked by the apparent absence of the man she sought her shadow touched the rock and without another second of hesitation she turned toward the forest fringe, walking with majestic carriage and looking neither to right nor left. She simply uttered one short sentence. To the grove. Every man with dark blood in his veins followed her like a sheep, for terrible things had been witnessed in the grove of mysteries, things far beyond the understanding of such men. The sullen whites hung back again, for their colder blood was not impregnated with the fears and superstitions that exerted such tremendous sway over their colored fellows. Still Dolores gave them never a look. She walked on, and the forest closed behind her as if she believed her footsteps followed by every foot in the unruly crew. It was Milo who constituted her dependable rearguard. Milo was there, and Milo would see to it that no skulker declined his queen's command. There lay the reason why Dolores so placidly turned her back to men whose dearest ambition would have been realized by the plunge of steel between her shoulders at that moment. Milo walked around to the rear of the hesitant mob, and without a word gripped the hindmost in his two great hands, and hurled him bodily over the heads of his mates in the desired direction. Swine, swore a hare-lipped Mexican, whipping out his cutlass. I'll see your black heart for that, and furiously made play to avenge insult to his sorely-handed fellow. The black giant turned as calmly as if his mistress had called him, and seized the fellow's cutlass hand in one huge fist, crushing bone and steel into gory pulp without visible effort. His lips never opened, his tremendous chest was ruffled not one whit. Milo's eyes alone gave warning of what he might do if occasion arose and fooled by his obvious carelessness the white men closed around him knives and cutlasses drawn frantic for his life they should have known better 
Their lessons had been many and vivid, but not a man of them all was of the caliber to learn from a slave. Milo kept hold of his man's hand, and at the scrape of steel leaving scabbard he brought up his free hand and grasped the fellow's left wrist. Then springing aside with the resistless impulse of a charging buffalo, he gained a clear space and began to swing his victim by the wrists. One complete circle was made with the human club, then a cat-like ruffian watched his chance and darted in with a murderous knife at Milo's breast, while the dreadful club was at his back. Cool as a mountain sprang, the giant immediately let go his man, letting him fly far behind him like a stone from a catapult. In the twinkling of an eye, the great hands that released the one captive closed afresh on the new assailant in front, and now the giant gave no further grace. His fingers tightened on the man's throat, and the desperate face went black. Then keeping the fellow ever before him, he suddenly flung him into the air by the waist, shifting holds with tigerish swiftness, and caught him by the ankles as he came down. He whirled the unfortunate wretch once, and three men went down under the terrible blow. The rest scattered with furious howls bespattered with the blood of their comrade. But one more side of the unruffled giant cowed them. None attempted further knife or sword play. Then Milo smiled scornfully and uttered, Go! And they went to the forest like jackals before the lion. The giant saw them on their way, and tossing his fearful weapon over the cliff, strode after them, an awful embodiment of relentless, all but limitless strength. The forest lay hushed and dim beyond the fringe. Whispering leaves and crackling twigs sounded sharp as a shower of stones in the stillness. Great trees reared their majestic heads to mingle their foliage and shut out the light. Every creeping, flying, walking creature seemed awed into a vague murmuring that was deeper than silence. The grove of mysteries was a semicircular space of cool mossy sward, bowered in great trees and tangled vine screens. Its background was the bare rock of the cliffside itself. Actually, though unknown to the rabble, the outer rocky wall of the great chamber, and against this stood the altar. The old woman had made use of her skinny limbs to good effect, impelled by a fear that had become terror. The altar was resplendent in silk and velvet, fashioned for an altar very different from this, but in place of the vessels usually associated with so sacred a piece of furniture, the altar of the grove was embellished with a mosaic of skulls and bones, surrounding a complete skeleton which held its head in one grisly hand. In the hollow eye-sockets glowed a weird fire, that darted forth at irregular intervals like glances of demoniacal hate. At the altar-foot a great censer erupted a dense cloud of pungent smoke, that rendered the altar and those about it still more vague and ghostly. And the glade was full of cowering, slavering blacks and half-breeds, whose superstitious terrors reached high tide with each succeeding swirl of smoke or outflash of eye-socket fires. Dolores went directly to the old woman who stood in cringing subservience with a plain white garment on her hands. This she placed on the girl's shoulders, fastening it at the bosom with a small skull of jade stone whose grinning teeth were pearls, and whose eye-sockets were empty with an awful blackness. The gold circlet was discarded, and in its place Dolores placed on her head a turban formed from a stuffed coiled snake, whose head and neck darted hither and thither on cunning springs, with her every motion and gesture. 
To this awesome place came the herd that Milo drove before him, and not a man among the hardened crew was hardy enough to carry his bravado into the grove. Blacks and whites alike, no matter what their inmost thoughts might be, yielded to the spell of the place the moment their feet trod the sward, and the congregation settled into the places allotted to them. Dolores glided out in front of the altar, and eyes glittered, dusky throats went constricted and dry with terror when she stirred up the brazier, and was hidden for a moment in the rising volume of blue smoke, in which flashes of devilish light played incessantly. Milo stepped up behind and above the altar, and as the smoke reeked about him vanished seemingly into the face of the cliff. There, in an unsuspected outlet to the great chamber, was the key to much of the magic with which Dolores kept her turbulent crew on the borderline of fear. She flashed a glance holding much of anxiety after her giant servitor, and busied herself about the altar to gain time. She had received from his hands as he stepped up the effigy of a man in black wax, and now she advanced with hand upraised for silence. It was unnecessary. The silence of the dead prevailed in the grove. With the image held aloft, Dolores was a magnet that drew all eyes inevitably. Six inches tall, the image was a cleverly modeled composite of every type in the motley band, and every man realized this. Placing the effigy on the altar, Dolores seized from the brazier a glowing coal with her bare hands, and placed it behind the figure. Then she flung both hands high, and her vibrant voice pealed through the grove. Regard all men the voice of the gods. By this sacred fire shall this image be melted, and when it is gone, out of its many likenesses shall remain the shape of him who stirred ye to mutiny against me. That shape I shall show ye by the power of my will. Lest ye disbelieve that I have this power, behold, look for the proof in the smoke behind me. As she spoke, she stirred the incense to a dense cloud of smoke, and her blazing eyes, turned from her people, peered through the reek for a reassuring sign from the rock, for what she now demanded of Milo called for superhuman swiftness and surety. As the seconds sped, she kept the smoke swirling thickly, and her voice rang out in a weird incantation that kept the spectators trembling with the growing suspense. Then a triumphant note entered her speech. The smoke rose thicker for an instant, then dissolved, and as it vanished high on the rocky cliff framed, as it seemed, in the solid rock itself, stood the grim, cold figure of the dead Red Jabez. In this, her grave extremity, Milo the Strong, Milo the Slave, more than all, Milo the Faithful, had not failed her. End of chapter 3 Recording by Philip Gould